Chapter 21 of the D'Artagnan Romances, Volume 3, Part 1, by Alexander Dumas, translated by William Robson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In which D'Artagnan prepares to travel for the firm of Planchet and Company. D'Artagnan reflected to such good purpose during the night that his plan was settled by morning. This is it, said he, sitting up in bed, supporting his elbow on his knee and his chin in his hand. This is it. I shall seek out forty steady, firm men, recruited among people a little compromised, but having habits of discipline. I shall promise them five hundred livres for a month if they return, nothing if they do not return, or half for their kindred. As to food and lodging, that concerns the English, who have cattle in their pastures, bacon in their bacon racks, fowls in their poultry yards, and corn in their barns. I will present myself to General Monk with my little body of troops. He will receive me. I shall win his confidence and take advantage of it as soon as possible. But without going farther, D'Artagnan shook his head and interrupted himself. No, said he. I should not dare to relate this to Athos. The way is therefore not honorable. I must use violence, continued he. Very certainly I must, but without compromising my loyalty. With forty men I will traverse the country as a partisan. But if I fall in with not forty thousand English, as Planchet said, but purely and simply with four hundred, I shall be beaten. Supposing that among my forty warriors there should be found at least ten stupid ones, ten who will allow themselves to be killed one after the other from mere folly. No... It is, in fact, impossible to find forty men to be depended upon. They do not exist. I must learn how to be contented with thirty. With ten men less, I should have the right of avoiding any armed encounter on account of the small number of my people. And if the encounter should take place, my chance is better with thirty men than forty. Besides, I would save five thousand francs. That is to say, the eighth of my capital. That is worth the trial." This being so, I should have thirty men. I shall divide them into three bands. We will spread ourselves out over the country with an injunction to reunite at a given moment. In this fashion, ten by ten, we should excite no suspicion. We should pass unperceived. Yes, yes, thirty. That is a magic number. There are three tens. Three. That divine number... And then, truly, a company of thirty men, when all together, will look rather imposing. Ah, stupid wretch that I am, continued D'Artagnan. I want thirty horses. That is ruinous. Where the devil was my head when I forgot the horses? We cannot, however, think of striking such a blow without horses. Well, so be it. That sacrifice must be made. We can get the horses in the country— they are not bad besides, but I forgot. Peste! Three bands! That necessitates three leaders. There is the difficulty. Of the three commanders, I have one already. That is myself. Yes, but the two others will of themselves cost almost as much money as all the rest of the troop. No, positively I must have but one lieutenant. In that case, then, I should reduce my troop to twenty men, 
I know very well that twenty men is but very little, but since with thirty I was determined not to seek to come to blows, I should do so more carefully still with twenty. Twenty, that is a round number. That, besides, reduces the number of the horses by ten, which is a consideration, and then with a good lieutenant. Mordieu, what things patience and calculation are! Was I not going to embark with forty men, and have I now reduced them to twenty for an equal success? Ten thousand livres saved at one stroke, and more safety. That is well. Now, then, uh, let us see. We have nothing to do but to find this lieutenant. Let him be found, then, and after. That is not so easy. He must be brave and good, a second myself. Yes, but a lieutenant must have my secret, and as that secret is worth a million, I shall only pay my man a thousand livres, fifteen hundred at the most. My man will sell the secret to Monk. Mordieu! No lieutenant! Besides, this man, were he as mute as a disciple of Pythagoras, this man would be sure to have in the troop some favorite soldier, whom he would make his sergeant. The sergeant would penetrate the secret of the lieutenant, in case the latter should be honest and unwilling to sell it. Then the sergeant, less honest and less ambition, will give up the whole for fifty thousand livres. Come, come, that is impossible. The lieutenant is impossible. But then I must have no fractions. I cannot divide my troop into two and act upon two points at once without another self, who... But what is the use of acting upon two points, as we have only one man to take? What can be the good of weakening a corps by placing the right here and the left there? A single corps, mordieu, a single one, and that commanded by D'Artagnan. Very well. But twenty men marching in one band are suspected by everybody. Twenty horsemen must not be seen marching together or a company will be detached against them, and the password will be required, the which company, upon seeing them embarrassed to give it, would shoot Monsieur d'Artagnan and his men like so many rabbits. I reduce myself, then, to ten men. In this fashion I shall act simply and with unity. I shall be forced to be prudent, which is half the success in an affair of the kind I am undertaking. A greater number might, perhaps, have drawn me into some folly." Ten horses are not many either to buy or take. A capital idea! What tranquillity it infuses into my mind! No more suspicions, no passwords, no more dangers. Ten men! They are valets or clerks. Ten men, leading ten horses laden with merchandise of whatever kind, are tolerated, well received, everywhere. Ten men travel on account of the House of Planchet and Company of France. Nothing can be said against that. These ten men, clothed like manufacturers, have a good cutlass or a good musket at their saddle-bow and a good pistol in the holster. They never allow themselves to be uneasy because they have no evil designs. They are perhaps, in truth, a little disposed to be smugglers, but what harm is in that? Smuggling is not like polygamy a hanging offense. The worst that can happen to us is the confiscation of our merchandise. Our merchandise confiscated? Fine affair, that! Come, come, it is a superb plan. Ten men only. 
ten men whom i will engage for my service ten men who shall be as resolute as forty who would cost me four times as much and to whom for greater security i will never open my mouth as to my designs and to whom i shall only say my friends there is a blow to be struck things being after this fashion satan will be very malicious if he plays me one of his tricks fifteen thousand livres saved that's superb out of twenty thus fortified by his laborious calculations d'artagnan stopped at this plan and determined to change nothing in it he had already on a list furnished by his inexhaustible memory ten men illustrious amongst the seekers of adventures ill-treated by fortune and not on good terms with justice upon this d'artagnan rose and instantly set off in the search telling planchet not to expect him to breakfast and perhaps not to dinner a day and a half spent in rummaging amongst certain dens of paris sufficed for his recruiting and without allowing his adventurers to communicate with each other he had picked up and got together in less than thirty hours a charming collection of ill-looking faces speaking a french less pure than the english they were about to attempt these men were for the most part guards whose merit d'artagnan had had an opportunity of appreciating in various encounters whom drunkenness unlucky sword thrusts unexpected winnings at play or the economical reforms of mazarin had forced to seek shade and solitude those two great consolers of irritated and chafing spirits they bore upon their countenance and in their vestments the traces of the heartaches they had undergone some had their visages scarred all had their clothes in rags d'artagnan comforted the most needy of these brotherly miseries by a prudent distribution of the crowns of the society then having taken care that these crowns should be employed in the physical improvement of the troop he appointed a trysting place in the north of france between berks and st omer six days were allowed as the utmost term and d'artagnan was sufficiently acquainted with the good will the good humor and the relative probity of these illustrious recruits to be certain that not one of them would fail in his appointment these orders given this rendezvous fixed he went to bid farewell to planchet who asked news of his army d'artagnan did not think proper to inform him of the reduction he had made in his personnel he feared that the confidence of his associate would be abated by such an avowal planchet was delighted to learn that the army was levied and that he planchet found himself a kind of half-king who from his throne counter kept in pay a body of troops destined to make war against perfidious albion that enemy of all true french hearts planchet paid down in double louis twenty thousand livres to d'artagnan on the part of himself planchet and twenty thousand livres still in double louis in account with d'artagnan d'artagnan placed each of the twenty thousand francs in a bag and weighing a bag in each hand this money is very embarrassing my dear planchet said he do you know this weighs thirty pounds bah your horse will carry that like a feather d'artagnan shook his head don't tell me such things planchet a horse overloaded with thirty pounds in addition to the rider and his portmanteau cannot cross a river so easily cannot leap over a wall or ditch so lightly and the horse failing the horseman fails it is true that you planchet who have served in the infantry may not be aware of all that then 
"'What is to be done, monsieur?' said Planchet, greatly embarrassed. "'Listen to me,' said D'Artagnan. "'I will pay my army on its return home. "'Keep my half of twenty thousand livres, which you can use during that time.' "'And my half?' said Planchet. "'I shall take that with me.' "'Your confidence does me honor," said Planchet. "'But supposing you should not return?' "'That is possible, though not very probable. "'Then, Planchet, in case I should not return, give me a pen. "'I will make my will.' "'D'Artagnan took a pen and some paper and wrote upon a plain sheet. "'I, D'Artagnan, possess twenty thousand livres laid up cent by cent "'during thirty years that I have been in the service of His Majesty the King of France. "'I leave five thousand to Athos, five thousand to Porthos, and five thousand to Aramis.' that they may give the said sums in my name and their own to my young friend Raoul, Vicomte de Bragelonne. I give the remaining five thousand to Planchet, that he may distribute the fifteen thousand with less regret among my friends, with which purpose I sign these presents. D'Artagnan. Planchet appeared very curious to know what D'Artagnan had written. Here, said the musketeer, read it. On reading the last lines, the tears came into Planchet's eyes. "'You think, then, that I would not have given the money without that? "'Then I will have none of your five thousand francs.' "'D'Artagnan smiled. "'Accept it. Accept it, Planchet. "'And in that way you will only lose fifteen thousand francs instead of twenty thousand. "'And you will not be tempted to disregard the signature of your master and friend "'by losing nothing at all.' How well that dear Monsieur d'Artagnan knew the hearts of men and grocers. They who have pronounced Don Quixote mad because he rode out to the conquest of an empire with nobody but Sancho, his squire, and they who have pronounced Sancho mad because he accompanied his master in his attempt to conquer the said empire, they certainly will have no hesitation in extending the same judgment to d'Artagnan and Planchet. And yet... The first passed for one of the most subtle spirits among the astute spirits of the court of France. As to the second, he had acquired by good right the reputation of having one of the longest heads among the grocers of the Rue de Lombard, consequently of Paris, and consequently of France. Now to consider these two men from the point of view from which you would consider other men, and the means by the aid of which they contemplated to restore a monarch to his throne, compared with other means— the shallowest brains of the country where brains are most shallow must have revolted against the presumptuous madness of the lieutenant and the stupidity of his associate. Fortunately, D'Artagnan was not a man to listen to the idle talk of those around him or to the comments that were made on himself. He had adopted the motto, Act well and let people talk. Planchet, on his part, had adopted this, Act and say nothing. It resulted from this that, according to the custom of all superior geniuses, these two men flattered themselves intrapectus, with being in the right against all who found fault with them. As a beginning, D'Artagnan set out in the finest of possible weather, without a cloud in the heavens, without a cloud on his mind, joyous and strong, calm and decided, great in his resolution, and consequently carrying with him a tenfold dose of that potent fluid which the shocks of mind cause to spring from the nerves 
and which procure for the human machine a force and an influence of which future ages will render, according to all probability, a more arithmetical account than we can possibly do at present. He was again, as in times past, on that same road of adventures which had led him to Boulogne, and which he was now traveling for the fourth time. It appeared to him that he could almost recognize the trace of his own steps upon the road, and that of his first upon the doors of the hostelries. His memory, always active and present, brought back that youth which neither thirty years later in his great heart nor his wrist of steel would have belied. What a rich nature was that of this man! He had all the passions, all the defects, all the weaknesses, and the spirit of contradiction, familiar to his understanding, changed all these imperfections into corresponding qualities. D'Artagnan, thanks to his ever-active imagination, was afraid of a shadow, and ashamed of being afraid, he marched straight up to that shadow, and then became extravagant in his bravery if the danger proved to be real. Thus, everything in him was emotion, and therefore enjoyment. He loved the society of others, but never became tired of his own. And more than once, if he could have been heard when he was alone, he might have been seen laughing at the jokes he related to himself, or the tricks his imagination created just five minutes before ennui might have been looked for. D'Artagnan was not perhaps so gay this time, as he would have been with the prospect of finding some good friends at Calais, instead of joining the ten scamps there. Melancholy, however, did not visit him more than once a day, and it was about five visits that he received from that somber deity before he got sight of the sea at Boulogne, and then these visits were indeed but short. But when once D'Artagnan found himself near the field of action, all other feelings but that of confidence disappeared never to return. From Boulogne he followed the coast to Calais. Calais was the place of general rendezvous, and at Calais he had named to each of his recruits the hostelry of Le Grand Monarque where living was not extravagant, where sailors messed, and where men of the sword, with sheath of leather be it understood, found lodging, table, food, and all the comforts of life for thirty sous per diem. D'Artagnan proposed to himself to take them by surprise in flagrante delicto of wandering life, and to judge by the first appearance if he could count on them as trusty companions. He arrived at Calais at half-past four in the afternoon. End of chapter 21. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.